This has been a live recording of the Effing Shakespeare podcast by Bloomsday Literary at the 2023 AWP Conference and Book Fair. We're thankful to be the official podcast for AWP for a third year and have invited a gallery of guests that you don't want to miss out on. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you interviews of amazing writers sharing about their amazing work. Enjoy. I'm really excited to have you today. Our esteemed guest today is VB, also known as Sugi Ganeshananthan. And we're excited to have you for a number of reasons, but there are a couple that I would like to start out with, which are things that we have in common, which is that we were both born in 1980. Oh, that's a good year. It was a great year. And we have dogs that look very similar to one another. Are you serious? Yeah. Can I show you a picture? How did you not lead with this in our I, correspondence? <laughs> Well, I had, to save, I had to save some juicy <laughs> okay. stuff for the show. Let me find this picture of my dog, who is no longer with us, but I saw Aww. the picture. She was uh, 14, and she was my absolute first love. Oh, sh- Was she a schnoodle? She was just a regular poodle. Oh, look at her little face. Doesn't your dog have the little white chin? My dog does have a little white chin, which we always attributed to the schnauzer in her, because she is a schnoodle. The most, yes. I'm showing it for like anyone cares. Um, but this is important to you and me, I think. It is. <laughs> they called her a party poodle. Party was spelled P A R T I, which accounted for the white okay. on the paws and the chin. But really, I think it was just like, you're not getting a real poodle. Like, I cared. I just thought she was cute. I don't know. She was Man. super cute. So your dog at home, what's happening? Is it kunji? Kunju. Kunju? Yeah. Um, which means basically like sweetie or honey or darling and thummel. Um, nice. And yeah, she's she's great. I just this morning was discussing with a pal how I wish that I could have brought her with me. Um, she would have been very interested in all of this. <laughs> of course. She likes to smell the books. She likes the smell of new books. Who doesn't? Uh, yes. I asked. So. Who doesn't? She's I on the verge, her. I think, of having her own uh, dogstagram slash literary recommendations Instagram. So I'd be, a, I'd be, be your on the number one follower. Okay. So just put me down on the list because okay. that sounds exciting. I'm, I'm all for pet, um, pet literary content. I think it's important. Um, but that's the end of our similarities, unfortunately. Oh. You were a Harvard grad. You have received fellowships from Yaddo McDowell, American Academy in Berlin. I've not received We, we any both of those. host podcasts. That's the other thing. We both, we both host podcasts. I should have led with that. And the dog. And 1980. Those are important things, I think. Okay. So, and you teach at the University of Minnesota in the MFA, MFA program. I do. Which is very my first question, I want to start, we're going to actually do real podcasting content, which is good. Okay. That's what we're here to do. I yes. want to hear about Brotherless Night, which was a novel 15 years in the making. I've heard a couple accounts. 10, 15? I started in January 2004, more or less. And then I finished it in 2022. So like a while. Amazing. Just a while, that, that particular unit of time. It's a long period of time. It's and you're sitting on a panel that I won't be able to attend. But I, So I wanted to get maybe the bird's eye view of that talk, which is called Playing the Long Game, yes. Novels and Memoirs, 10 Years in the Making. Sure. Um, so the quick and dirty version of writing a novel for 18 years. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like I should start talking like the Micro Machine Man right now. Um, 
So in January 2004, I started the book. I was an MFA student, and I had put the draft of my first novel away and basically started messing around with a little bit of research that I had found while researching that other novel that didn't fit into didn't fit into that book and like wrote a version of it wrote a version a fictionalized version of that bit of research sort of to get into a class in my MFA program where like I had not registered because it was a class about form and I thought I wasn't interested in that form and that's actually like not the reason to sign up for a class really it's just like do you want to be in the class with that teacher and that set of people like that set of classmates who were taking the class and so I discovered that the rest of my classmates had been intelligent enough to sign up for that class and I had been (laughs) foolish so I like tried to essentially hoodwink my way into the class by being like it's and it was a novella class so I was like I will go first if you let me in I will workshop first I had no novella. And like, that's an important that's an important <laughs> lesson. Like if you're gonna go ask somebody for something, bring something with you. <laughs> even bring if, a negotiation even if you, tool. Yeah, yeah, a negotiation tool where you have nothing and you're just fully bluffing. <laughs> so then I like wrote not a novella, but a very long short story um, for the first week of the class. And then that became the beginning of the novel. And the class was very encouraging about it. And it was a novella class with Ethan Kanan. And, and yeah, and then I just kind of kept working on it from there. And it was what I worked on for a lot of my time as an MFA student. And then I was on fellowship for a year at Exeter where I um, worked on it. And then I put it away because I didn't get any more, I didn't get another fellowship and I got into journalism school where I didn't really want to go, but ended up anyway. And then was running out of money in New York in the like fall of 2006 and, and was talking to my, and she was like, well, which one's closer to done? And it was actually the first novel that was closer to done. And so we sold them. And then Brotherless Night was sort of not called Brotherless Night then. And it was sold as part of a two-book deal, which uh-huh. was like, important to pre-2008. So before the financial crash, who knows that that would have happened in a later period of time. It was lucky and also like difficult because it was a book that was sold without having been finished, which I think was part of the challenge. So that was kind of how it began. And then I've been working on it since then and have spent time teaching at the University of Michigan and on fellowships at different places. And I've just been working on it and been working on it and then sometimes not working on it and then sometimes working on it and then sometimes fielding questions like will you truly finish from people who have a certain expectation yeah and when I say fielding questions I really mean fielding facial expressions there's like a facial expression for like that person's not finishing that person is like a full-on screw-up um, but I'm gonna like is it the facial expression I get from him a lot of the time <laughs> that one it's 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 similar and uh, <laughs> and so then there's like the facial expression you've got to give back which is like I don't see your facial expression and I'm just gonna keep plugging away and I was also fortunate to have a ton of people around me who were like you can do it keep going like my agent and I went through a couple editors my first editor left Random House my second editor left Random House and now I have a third lovely editor um, so yeah and then I yeah t- shockingly turned it in. And wrote the acknowledgments in July of 22 and was done. And now it's here. Now it's here. Confusingly. Hearty well, congratulations. Thank you. On that story. We hear a lot of publishing journeys on the show. That's a, that's a good long one. Which is an encouraging thing to tell other people out there. That it can be yeah. done. Be on the lookout for the facial expression. Have your own facial expression prepared. That's a good takeaway. A solid takeaway. Okay, I want to talk about fiction, nonfiction, which I had the joy to dig into in preparation for our talk today. Such, I love the premise. I love the premise that 
whatever we're talking about, the cultural here and now, has already been done somewhere in literature, and you make those connections. Tell me about just the origin of that podcast and how you came become partners with Fitme. Is it Terrell or Terrell? Terrell. Terrell. And just how that landed with the Literary Hub. Sure. Well, I have to give, I mean, really, for the idea, like, full credit to Whitney. It was his idea. Like me, he's a journalist and novelist. And were you guys buds? We were not buds. Oh, my gosh. We met at our, uh, we both had been taught by Jim McPherson at the Iowa Writers Workshop about, like, I don't know, like a decade and change apart. And I was visiting faculty at the workshop in the fall when, like, Jim died late in the summer of 16. And so I actually met Whitney at his memorial service. And then, like, a bunch of people went out to dinner after that, and then he and I kept in touch. And then he was like, so I'm thinking of doing this show. You seem like you would be fun to do the show with. (laughs) And I was like, I've seemed fun? Excellent. And (laughs) Yeah, and so, and like it was, you know, he just knows a lot, he knew a lot more about podcasts than I do, probably still does know a lot more about podcasts than I do, so, and we both knew John Freeman, who was working at Literary Hub, and so we're connected to Johnny Diamond, and then had a conversation with him about it, I think we were like Lit Hub's second podcast, and we were doing it every two weeks, and now it's a weekly show, and it is super fun, and like, so an example of a recent episode about, you know, things being in literature before the news like we had Ann Beatty on I'm still blown away that we actually got Ann Beatty to be on the show That's amazing we got Ann Beatty to be on the show and she talked about Bartholomew's short story The Balloon which was in the New Yorker and she talked and she kind of had written an essay for Lit Hub about that in relation to the Chinese spy balloon yeah and it was really fun to talk to her and I mean she's totally brilliant so that's kind of been a, a good example that's of gorgeous. the balloon has been the balloon has been in your books already and you know but look up at the sky and Barth- Bartholomew has thoughts about how you should look up at the sky <laughs> So check that one out. It's a really good episode. That's super fun. Very cool. Art and Beatty was Jericho Brown. I'm constantly, we have constantly been surprised at how generous authors are to come on and just give it a whirl and talk about. Your list of guests is awesome. Thank you. Well, yeah, <laughs> clearly. I, mean, not, I don't mean me. <laughs> I was looking at. I was looking up your episodes and was like, oh, fun. Yeah, super fun. And, yes. you know, and Jerrica comes on and sings Whitney Houston. I mean, like, what the, like, yeah. how do we get to do I, this? Yeah, I can't, yeah. It's pretty awesome. So, yeah, it's a, lot, it's a lot of fun. I'm glad that your podcast is in the world. Thank you. Um, yeah. And yours. Very, very cool. And the thing that it does, like, I was going through your list and seeing all the connections that we, either we had, like, one of our poets was on your show, um, Jabari Asim, and then... He's so great. Oh, yeah, he's great. He's great. So we're co-founders of Bloom State Literary, and our third partner is in Boston, and so she, that's the connection to Jabari. But then also you had Michael Knight on the show. Oh, yeah. Who was our mentor. So Jessica and I were... Oh, he was so lovely. Also, that yeah, that episode, he was so funny. He's so funny. That was a, 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 an episode about literary dinner parties that um, Whitney thought up after the Mar-a-Lago dinner incident. <laughs> yes, Involving Yay and Nick Fuentes. Yeah, fun times. So, yeah, and I, so that's the thing that I love about AWP and, you know, just the literary community and ecosystem in general. Yeah, like there's it was a small world. Connections, yeah, that can be made both from the literature but also from the people who inhabit these spaces. So. Okay, could you tell us just a little bit about University of Minnesota and your work there with the MFA students? Sure. We're particularly interested in what you're doing to cultivate writers of color and nourish them in the MFA, since there's been a lot of talk about decolonizing the classroom and the varying ways that 
I think programs are starting to teach yeah. workshop how to do the model of workshops. So I'd love to hear about how that works in the University of Minnesota. Sure. So quick context is that I've been there since the fall of 2015. The program is like, what is it, like 25 years old? And I think it's like one of the few MFA programs that was founded by women. Like that's not actually like a common history. It's a three-genre program. It's three years, three students per genre. And it's not sort of genre siloed in the way that some programs are. Like, so when I teach a fiction workshop, there's regularly like a nonfiction writer or poet in it. Which is already breaking the rule, the, yeah, you know, the it, rules, the conventions. Well, it's great because then you get, you know, a poet in your class who's like, but why is setting like that? And then you're like, oh, right, now I have to actually articulate that. <laughs> and it turns out that I just have been assuming that everyone understands that. And maybe we don't all understand it the same way and we should talk about it. And so it's a great way to keep the conversation fresh and I'm so grateful to have those students who are writing across genres in my classes. In terms of nourishing writers of color, that is a priority for us. So for example, we've had a conversation series led largely by my colleague Doug Kearney about workshopping the workshop. There's a lot of conversations going on about, you know, of course, like the Matt Salis's book, the Felicia Rose Chavez book. I was just reading, we had on the show, the editors of Letters to a Writer of Color. Uh That book is so good. Oh my God. I keep hearing that. I haven't read it It is so good. Everyone go buy that book. It came out on Tuesday and it's fantastic. And so I'm sure we'll be talking about that book. Mm. Our students are funded in different ways, like... And some of that depends on, I should say, like, so sometimes have been funded through teaching, sometimes through fellowships. And we have in recent, like, our, I have two new colleagues in fiction who started, oh my God, I'm on sabbatical. So my mind is a bit of a sieve. <laughs> I understand. I understand. When did they start? Oh my God. They started this year. They started in the fall of 2022. Amina Ahmad and Megan Giddings, who is also here at, at AWP. And it's wonder- been wonderful to have them join the faculty and join this conversation. And yeah, so we are always talking about how you teach workshop. And I think, like, for example, when I ran the fiction workshop a while ago, like people were, we, were, we used Matt's book and people had the option to kind of choose how they wished to be workshopped. We had like a little conversation early on where people kind of went through the pros and cons for themselves personally of each model that he puts in there. Um, People came up with their own hybrids. It was kind of like a speed dating thing where the writers paired up with each other and kind of moved in opposite directions around a circle and were kind of like, well, what about this one? Well, what about this one? And so... And I think, like, I saw people experiment with them, like, pick one model and then pick a a different one. It's so... I'm over here making sort of, like, flabbergasted hand motions, which I'm now narrating to our live (laughs) audience. But it's not rocket science. It's just something that we had not done in the workshop for so long. It was like, don't say anything. Please don't speak. Be open to every criticism that is coming from the room, regardless of its position or framing for your narrative. Sure. And I think, but I think like one of the great things that Matt's book does is that he moves the conversation beyond that because I don't know, at least for me, like I like a fairly long time ago had not really been saying that to my, like been telling my students to be quiet. Some of them were opting for it anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And Matt has like an interesting thing in his book about, about like why people would do that. But I feel like that book kind of takes the ball down the field and is like, well, what happens what are the kinds of conversations that happen when you don't do that? What kind of preparation could you do for workshop differently? How could you articulate who your audience is? That book and all of the other books that I feel like are part of this conversation. And I should also mention Craft and Conscience by Kavita Das. Mm. All of these books 
like almost all of them somewhere in the book are like, and I hope my book is not the last word on this subject. It should be the beginning of the conversation. And I'm like, yes, thank you. That's so lovely. And yeah. and it, that conversation does seem to be growing and expanding with like new books on this topic being published like at least twice a year. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. What is next for you? You've Brotherless Night came out. I'm on this panel at 1210. <laughs> That's as far as I go. Yeah, I don't, I don't. Don't make me cast in the future. <laughs> I don't, I don't look forward 20 years because that didn't work out so well for me last time. I was like, oh, I'll be done with this in mere moments. No, no. Also a good life lesson brought to you yeah. today. I <laughs> don't, yeah, I think I'm, I'm sort of fishing around. I have a residency coming up, so I'll probably use the residency to fish around some more and be like, you know, I'll, I'll take the first stint to sleep, which was an important thing that I learned at a residency where like someone was like, you're allowed to sleep for just the first two days. Good night. <laughs> and then, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and yeah, then I'll try to get back to work. I love it. I don't really remember. If you have any guests on and who remember how to start things, like new things. I'll ask. Okay. I have a full slate and I will ask. I will ask that question. We will get to the bottom of this and we will let you know. Great. Because that's I what we're here to do. I started anything new since two, like we're 2004. Here. We're here to serve writers that's, and that's yeah, what we're going to yeah. do for you today. That's all right. Okay. Our last question. Not the most consequential question, but an important one. What's the best thing you've overheard at AWP? in 2023 so far so I got here last night <laughs> but I will say that one of the things that happens that I is that I continually overhear people who are trying to get to something on time um, but it's sort of like management of time at AWP is like really difficult basically because you're going to run into people that you know between point point A and point B. Yes. And so how do you calculate your time to like, like assume you'll run into three people between like, I came to this, this booth to record this podcast at like a certain time the and, you, right time. and then I was and like, told you to come it's back. fine. It's fine. <laughs> and then I, I was like, I was like, Oh shit, what a golden opportunity. Like wander the, I'll wander the book fair. And then I was like, Oh shit, don't run into anyone. If you run into anyone, you'll be late. So if you saw a hooded figure, it was <laughs> spooky. <laughs> <laughs> trying to avoid you so she could be on time. And and I don't know. It's like such a, you're like, delight. I've seen this. Oh, oh, sh- no, <laughs> yeah. no, not now. Not now. Head down. <laughs> and so that's Especially not exactly. because we've been virtual and weird for the last two years. So yeah. you're going to have to calculate an extra 20 for everything, I think. Right. So and so just like listen, okay. listening to people be like, I have to get to, I have to get to, I have to. Oh, and, and yes, I sympathize with you. And Probably. I look forward to seeing you later. <laughs> Lovely. We'll eventually meet up. Exactly. <laughs> it was a joy to get to know you and a pleasure to have on the show. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I love your show. And Thanks happy so much. AWP to everyone. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Effing Shakespeare is a production of Bloomsday Literary, hosted by Kate Martin-Williams, Jessica Cole, and produced by me, Fu Lu. Our trusty and hardworking intern is Elena Welsh. With special thanks to Juanita Lester and the AWP staff, without whom this would not be possible.